Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. We are continuing a sermon series in the Gospel of Luke, which we're calling Following Jesus in the Wilderness. So the Gospel of Luke, in that Luke shows how the very first disciples had to follow Jesus through a desert wilderness. And we're exploring how thousands of years later and thousands of miles away, this is still true. Disciples of Jesus follow Jesus through the wilderness. Now, we may not follow Jesus through a literal wilderness, but we do follow Jesus wherever he leads us. And often he takes us places that are uncomfortable and sometimes just scary. And so this morning, Jesus is going to talk about fear. Because if you're going to follow the real Jesus, you will encounter many fears. To follow Jesus is to become acquainted with fear. But Jesus doesn't leave us there. He gives us an answer to our wilderness fears. And so I want to read this text with you to find out what he says. This is God's word. It's Luke 12, starting in chapter 12, verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Fear not. You are of more value than many spirits. So Lord, with the meditation, with the words of my mouth, and with the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning, be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And Holy Spirit, would you open the eyes of our hearts so that we would worship Jesus, so that we would not just learn from Jesus, but that we would actually behold Jesus with all of who we are, and then love him. That's our, that's our wish. That's our desire. That's our prayer right now. Is that by the time this message is over, we would love Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, most days when I wake up, two things automatically happen. First, all my fears rush in. Can I get an amen? Am I alone in this? All my fears rush in. So the fears for the day start popping up in my brain and in my body like kids sort of lining up for recess. And the bigger kids kind of muscle towards the front. That's exactly what happens to me as soon as I wake up. And then the second thing that happens to me is what I call my temporary fear fixes. We'll call them TFF for short. Uh, these are like mental tricks that I've been developing since I was like a preteen about how to deal with my fears. 
and I share them with you not to recommend them. So don't take notes right now. <laughs> my first TFF, my first temporary fear fix, is to distract. Distraction. If I can distract my mind with something else that isn't scary, then I start to feel okay. Maybe it's a vacation coming up. My second TFF is to diminish. If I can somehow diminish the thing I'm afraid of, then I'll start to feel okay. That's when I say to myself, well, it could be worse, or, ah, it's nothing. And I diminish. And the third TFF is my favorite, sadly, detach. If I bring myself to the fear, I get afraid. So what I'll do is I won't bring myself to the fear, which means I don't bring myself to reality, which means, sadly, I don't bring myself to my loved ones. And I detach. And as I said, I share these TFFs not because I recommend them. I share them so that you will avoid them with me. They're temporary fear fixes. They don't ultimately work. They're sort of like the Novocaine you get when you have oral surgery. It dulls the fear. But it's still there. It's still there. When the mental tricks fade out. What's worse, as I, manage, as I said, when I manage my fears this way, my loved ones pay the price. Because I cannot be helpful and present and loving to anyone when I'm distracting, diminishing, and detaching from my fears. So I need something better than those three TFFs. I need something way better. And I have a, have a feeling we all do. A new study was released this week from the American Psychological Association, and maybe this popped up on your newsfeed like it did mine. Uh, the findings of this study showed that Americans are basically a wreck. <laughs> right? You're like, we didn't need a highly funded study to tell us that we're a wreck. So 80, over 80% of respondents are stressed about all kinds of things, rising prices of everyday items. Supply chain problems, global uncertainty, Russian invasion and retaliation, cyber attacks, nuclear threats. We are afraid. We are afraid. We have fears. But the promising news this morning is that fear is nothing new. And Jesus knows this about us. In fact, Jesus gives us straight talk about fear in the Gospel of Luke this morning. Why? Why does he do this? It's because his disciples were afraid. I do not think Jesus was simply thinking, let me give a theoretical discourse on fear in case my disciples ever need it. No, I think the disciples were afraid. They were deeply fearful, and so Jesus addresses their fear head on. So just before our passage, opposition to the Jesus movement starts to cook up. If you have your Bible open, you can even just scan the text that happens uh, before this, and even the last part of chapter 11. 
It turns out, in other words, that the wilderness journey with Jesus is a scary journey. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, he compares this moment in Luke's gospel of this, of this wilderness journey, he compares it to a pleasant hike gone bad. You guys been on a pleasant hike gone bad? Yeah? I see a hand or two, a few nods out there. Uh, apparently, uh, he was once on a hike went, with some friends. It was very pleasant. It was very lovely. And then their leader fell off a ledge, broke something. And he says his pleasant hike turned into a, like the equivalent of a military operation. Fears rushed in. Uh, maybe you've seen the documentary, the 2017 documentary called The Dawn Mall. Have you seen this documentary? It's on Netflix. Uh, it's mostly about a mountain climber named Tommy Caldwell, who famously climbed the Dawn Wall in Yosemite. But it's way more interesting than that. You know Free Solo? You've all seen that one. That came out just shortly after the Dawn Wall. In my two cents, the Dawn Wall is way better. So just watch the Dawn Wall. When he was a kind of a young up-and-coming climber in the year 2000, the North Face sponsored a climbing trip to the mountains of Kyrgyzstan. And he and three others were climbing and having the time of their life when all of a sudden they started to hear gunshots. And next thing they know, they're captured by rebels and their life was on the line. So this kind of carefree climbing adventure suddenly got real. And I want you to watch the documentary and see how it ends. Uh, but this is the kind of turn that happens in the wilderness journey with Jesus, according to Wright. The journey with Jesus just got scary. He writes, what Jesus is doing demands our total attention. Anything less, and disaster may follow. The stakes are high now. And so I think this passage is really timely for all of us. Because many of us feel this way about following Jesus these days. Being a Christ follower might have felt uncomplicated, but following Jesus feels like it's no longer easy these days. The stakes feel higher. Things are more complicated. It's scary. Following Jesus is scary. We're feeling that, maybe for the first time. But Jesus addresses our fears. And he addresses our fears in two ways. First, by recognizing them. So don't miss this grace from Jesus. Jesus recognizes our fear. He acknowledges in this text we just read that the journey he is leading on is indeed scary. And that is a grace by itself. Because notice, Jesus does not say, your fears are unfounded. He doesn't belittle them with their fears. He recognizes that there are people out there who can and will kill the body, to use his words. Jesus isn't isn't in any kind of denial about scary things in this fallen world. He names them, he recognizes them. The Lord that we are following in this wilderness is not a naive Lord. 
And that is a grace by itself. Our leader is wise. But the second thing he does is he does not leave us in our fears. He replaces our fears. With something better. What is called the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Others have called this kind of the great paradox of the Christian life. That the only way to deal with our fears is by replacing them with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the only thing that can ultimately deal with our fears. That's Jesus' teaching here. But what does the fear of the Lord even mean? Isn't that a contradiction we might be thinking? And how could it be the answer to our fears? Well, we're going to talk about it. Because Jesus answers this question. Fear of the Lord, according to Jesus, has two basic ingredients. The fear of the Lord involves true reverence. And the fear of the Lord involves true friendship. And both are vital. So let's look at both. The fear of the Lord involves true reverence. Look again at verse 4. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So Jesus is clear. God is God, and we are not. He alone has ultimate authority. When Jesus uses the word authority, he is saying that God has authority. Period. In stuff. He is creator of all, therefore he is judge of all, and this demands a kind of hand over your mouth reverence. The only way that it would not create reverence, what Jesus just says here, is if we somehow dilute what Jesus says about God. Jesus says, Son of God, true God, true man. We cannot dilute what he says. I remember years ago, 2010, uh, when President Barack Obama made a visit to Columbus. Maybe some of you remember this too. He didn't book the shop across the street or the shoe. Do you remember what he did? He sat down with apparently Rhonda and Joe Whiteman in their kitchen in Clintonville. And then in their backyard patio with 40 other neighbors. Now, put yourself in, this is a fun mental experiment. Put yourself in the Whiteman's shoes when they got that notice. You know how you kind of clean your house up for guests when, before dinner, or maybe you're hosting home group? Um, just, I just think, like, that is an incredible thought experiment. How would I, how would I handle that? I'm guessing they clean their house. A little bit more than they usually would. I'm guessing there was a reverence, perhaps, in their interactions with their visitor, with the president. And if that's true of just a human president, how much more true of it is, is it of the God who created the cosmos out of nothing, de novo, out of nothing, ex nihilo, completely speaking into existence all that is. The holy God who alone has authority to cast into hell. 
So when Isaiah the prophet glimpses the, the throne room of God, he fell flat on his face. He was undone. And I'm guessing that glimpse of God's glory melted his human fears. Why? Because our fears cannot coexist next to the immensity of God. They're too small in comparison. Jesus is saying to us this morning, we will live in fear of people, we will live in fear of circumstances, we will live in fear of worst case scenarios, unless and until we experience the profound Godness of God. The holiness of God. The, the greatness of God. For God is small, fears are big. Fear of the Lord involves true reverence. But that's not all Jesus says about the fear of the Lord. There's more to it. Yes, it involves true reverence. God is God. And that's the first ingredient. But the second ingredient is vital it's true friendship with God. Notice what Jesus calls his disciples. Notice what Jesus calls you in verse 4. If you're like me, you've skipped over this. I tell you who? My friends. I tell you my friends. Jesus, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Righteous Judge, is your friend. The whole gospel is bundled up in this phrase, my friends. In our sinful fear, in our lack of trust, in our hatred of God's judgment, we were enemies of God. But Jesus is able to call them, his disciples, and call you his friends. Why? Because he set his face to Jerusalem. This wilderness journey that is scary is a wilderness journey that Jesus is walking toward Jerusalem, where he will indeed do the costly work of dying for our sin. The mission of Jesus was to convert you from enemy to friend. Enemy of God to friend of God. The heartbeat of Jesus is to do all that is necessary for him to be able to say, you are my friend and mean it and not push aside the holiness of God. How can he do and say such a thing if God is holy? Well, Jesus can call you friend and not push away or diminish the holiness of God. Why? Because Jesus is judge. And on the cross, the judge is judged for you. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5, 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We are reconciled, we are friends with the thrice holy God. Which is why Jesus assures us of his care in verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, 
and not one of them is forgotten before God. Why? Even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. So philosophers, they tell us that God is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent. All-knowing, all-powerful, and all-present. But what the philosophers leave out is God's covenant. His costly, I will never leave you, committed life. Yes, God is all-knowing. Yes, God is all-present. Yes, God is all-powerful. Jesus affirms that in this text. But he is also omnibenevolent, omnicommitted, omniloving. We miss that fourth omni. If we do, we miss the gospel. That combination of reverence and friendship is the fear of the Lord. I've shared this with you before, but it's just too helpful for me. And I need reminding, so I'll remind you of it again. Uh, There's a British pastor scholar named Andrew Wilson, and he compares the fear of the Lord to Dumbledore. Yeah, yeah, he went there. Um, In the Harry Potter universe, Dumbledore is the most powerful person there is. And this is why Harry and his friends are never flippant or disrespectful of him. But Harry and his friends are not afraid of him. Why? One reason, and one reason alone. Dumbledore is for them. He calls them his friends. Does that diminish his power and authority? No. Never. And it's that combination of reverence and friendship with the thrice holy God of the universe through Jesus and by the Holy Spirit that eliminates, diminishes our fears. Nothing else can. We can have, in Craig Blomberg's words, fear of God without being afraid of God. That's because in Christ we are God's friend. This alone melts fear. So, Andy Mineo, he says, the only thing I fear is God and he's on my side. He doesn't say it like that, by the way. You should listen to his song. You probably heard it already. But that is exactly right. I mean, that is profound. I've thought about this phrase often in my life. The only thing I fear is God, and He is on my side. So instead of my TFFs, my sort of temporary fear fixes, what if I, in the morning, woke up and offered this line as a prayer? Okay, Lord, I'm afraid of this, but the only thing I fear is you, and you are on my side. Do you see the difference? Do you even feel the difference that is? There's a profound difference. Because one leaves you alone with your fears. And God is some kind of add-on. And the other is simply worship 
It's worship. It's you saying, I can't do this. And you are powerful enough to deal with this and loving enough to see me through this. God is overall, but he is for us. True reverence, true friendship. Both must be held together. One without the other will leave us in our fears. So friendship without reverence. Let's talk about that just for a brief second. Friendship without reverence means that God is not powerful enough to do anything in your life. You're left to yourself to deal with your fears by yourself. And this can create a juvenile faith. And it can leave us in our fears. Reverence without friendship means that God is not committed enough to you to do anything about your fears. He may be in your mind holy enough to deal with your fears, but he's not your friend. So he's not committed enough to you to do anything with your fears. And this creates a cold faith that leaves us in our fears. But reverence and friendship, this alone creates loving worship. Worship is reverence and friendship. In a moment we're going to come to the table. In a moment we're going to sing. In a moment we're going to be sent out. And the Bible's like, go out worshiping in all of your life. Well, you might be thinking, how do you do this? It's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is worship. The fear of the Lord is worship. It's true reverence and it's true friendship. And when those things meet, it is a life-changing thing. It chokes out fear. It is, who has trouble growing plants? We have some trouble in our house. We don't have good windows. <laughs> or we don't have many windows, we'll say. Our windows are great. There aren't enough of them. Well, here's the thing. A grass in the backyard doesn't grow very well either. So something's wrong in the hack house. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it is bad soil, we could say, for growth. Well, let me say this. Fear of the Lord is bad soil for fear to grow. Worship is terrible soil for fears. I could even recommend when those fears start lining up like recess in your mind and body, I would recommend worship. Maybe putting on some music. Singing. Pulling out your guitar. Worshiping. Or whatever it is that enables you to experience the, the, both the holiness of God and the nearness of God. Both the reverence of God and the friendship of God. Because it's in those moments that the fears get choked. Let me read as a way to close Luke, I'm sorry, Romans 8. And as I read this, I want to ask you this question. Is your God too small? Jesus, in this passage, I think, will challenge you. Have we domesticated God? Have we diminished God? Well, allow Jesus' words to enlarge God in your hearts and minds.
Some of you, your God is too distant. Your God is plenty large. But he is distant. So I want these words from Jesus to challenge you as well. I want Jesus to challenge you in this way. He knows the hairs on your head. He is committed to caring for you. He will never let you go. He is nearer than you realize. And so I don't know where you are in that continuum, where you need challenged, but you need both. You need both. You need a big God and you need a near God. You need true reverence and you need true friendship. And as you think about that, as you ponder that, I just want to read to you these words from the Apostle Paul. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has, cho- has given us right standing with himself. Friendship. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Saying your name right now. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us? If we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or are destitute or are in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons. Think of your fears right now. Think of Pull them up. Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is God and He is our friend through Christ. And so, Lord, we come to you with our fears. And we hear Jesus say, do not be afraid. And we are so grateful that that is not just advice, but that is coming from the Lord of the universe who died for our sins, made us friends of God. So Lord, our, our, our prayer right now is that we would be in awe of you because of your holiness and be in love with you. Because of your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.